Welcome. This is our daily podcast from Seacoast Grace Church. We believe that Jesus changes everything. And and as we come to understand what that means, we begin to live our lives differently. And I think as we live our lives differently, people take note. And we might even bring change to our world. So welcome. Glad you're here. Hey everyone, Pastor Autumn here. Welcome to day 12 of Send It. Today we'll continue to learn about sharing our faith and are going to get some practical advice about what to say when we have conversations about Jesus with non-believers. Let's get going. Today's scripture is from Luke 15, verse 11 to 24. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this is my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Today's Devo was titled, Good News. In the church, we sum up the entirety of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection with one word, gospel. The literal translation of this word in Greek you Anglion is good tidings. But if it's such good news, why do so many people reject it? It's really a good news, bad news situation. If Jesus had to go to such painful and inconceivable lengths to save us, we must have been really, really bad. Look at it this way. According to Genesis 3, every aspect of our human life is cursed. So all of us are putting on a brave face and pretending that everything is okay when everything can't possibly be okay. If anyone accepts Jesus as their savior, they're admitting that they are, as Pastor Matt likes to say, not mistakers in need of any second chance, but sinners in need of a savior. And most people will go to great lengths to avoid that. So that's the bad news. But here's the good news. Even though we, this includes you and me and them, are terribly wretched and sinful. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. 
We are not a people who share about Jesus with a sense of superiority, but a sense of wonder and humility. Our past leave us no room to boast, only to be witnesses to the greatness of God's goodness towards us. Remember this as you approach the gospel portion of sharing your faith. You are simply a witness of God's work in your life. Beyond that, the gospel is really simple. Tim Keller says you just need to remember to include three things as you share your faith. Manger, cross, king. Manger, share how God sent his son, Jesus, to live among us as a human. Cross, talk about how Jesus died in our place. If we believe this, then God will take our guilt and shame. King, when we believe in Jesus, we join his family and make him our king. We become dedicated to obeying him and bringing his love and justice to the world. One day he will return and finish this work. Then we will be with him in peace and purpose forever. But really, there's no script for you to follow. The most impactful way to share the gospel is to share stories of how God has worked in your life. Tell them what you truly love about him. Help them to see Jesus through your eyes and then leave the results up to God. In the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah confronts Israel with the choice to follow God by building an altar in front of them and presenting an offering to God. He had work to do and he did it with vigor. He built the altar, but what convinced the people was not the altar. It wasn't the offering. It was when God sent down fire on the altar. When we share our faith, we are making an offering. We work, we use our words, we tell our stories, but we don't bring the fire. That's God's job. What a great honor that we have to be a part of his work. All right, so we are on the last day of our sharing week. And um, so today we're gonna talk about just the practicality of like, what are the elements that you need to include when you're actually sharing the gospel with somebody? And so um, I actually wanted to talk to those of you who have really, I mean, I think in this room, there's probably the gospel has been shared from the stage by you guys hundreds, if not thousands of times. And so what is the difference between sharing the gospel from the stage and sharing the gospel, as Doyle said a couple days ago, one-on-one? -on -one? Like, what do you guys see as the difference between those two? I think from the stage, you can be more honest and less personal. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So you're, you're more bold to be able to say it, which is kind of the opposite of what you think would yeah. be the truth. But you can say things because you're saying it to a crowd. And so nobody goes, I think he's, so he's, talking he's talking to me. About me. Oh, it's a that's friend. A, that's yeah. a friend he's talking to for sure. No one thinks it's them. So they're all going, yeah, you should say that for sure. You should tell them that. Um, but in conversation, obviously, you can be more personal and specific. So you can alter the conversation. You can guide the conversation. Um, and so you can um, you can talk about more, more, I don't want to say more difficult things, but you can be a little bit more transparent in those conversations. Or maybe more nuanced. Yeah, more nuanced. That's better, yeah. Yeah, and I think about that. I've said things from the stage that are probably way more bold than I would ever say to a neighbor across the street. Like, heaven's not our natural default. Uh, 
John 14, 6, Jesus talks about him being the only way to the Father, and the, which excludes, which means that, that everyone who's not professing faith in him is going to hell. I, I, would, I don't think I'd go into my neighbor's house and be like, you know you're going to hell? Like, I, you know, I, I, would, I would never take that approach, you know. So yeah, I, I would agree with what Cody's saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Thanks, man. It means a lot. That's really good. Well, I heard really something. Doyle, Doyle, you you have given. How many altar calls have you given in in your in your life? Do you think? A lot. Not not as many in the traditional sense. Yeah. Uh, some of those too. Some yeah. of those certainly. Um, yeah. So here here's how I kind of think about the public versus the the private. Here's so so everybody thinks Billy Graham was a great uh, evangelist or soul winner. Billy Graham was a great harvester. Mm. All those people, and God mm. ordained mm. it to be so. I'm not, I'm not in any way denigrating that. But, but so when people come to church, I'm not going to get them saved. Early on, I had a young woman who came to faith, and she brought all of her friends and said, this is the one who saved me. And I'm like, okay, we missed something in the message here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but here's what I, I feel, is that I am being dependent upon by all these people who have tried leveraging their relationships, having a significant spiritual conversation with their friends or family, or just bribe them to get them to Sunday uh, service or Christmas Eve. And I feel a responsibility to help support what they've been telling them already and, and just help them take a next step. And so for me, I, we actually oftentimes when we speak, we think about we anticipate who might be there. Not not like my cousin Bob's coming, but but there will be a, a young dad who is dealing with the, the challenges of raising a family and living in a world where he's supposed to make more money and work 100 hours a week, right? We're going to speak to that guy because we know somebody's going to bring that guy or the wayward son. We're going to speak to the wayward son because you know, some mom on Christmas Eve leveraged Christmas dinner to get them there. And so for me, it's very much about... Um, Maybe in Cody's case, when he speaks, he's going to fill in some of the apologetics, some of the more technical questions that the, 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 the average lay person might not have studied like he did. You know what I'm saying? For me, I, I might try to just say, for me, my most powerful thing is just say, here's what happened to me. I think that's true for all of us. So, so there is a sense in which you're trying to do, maybe one way for me to think about it is, I pick about six or eight different individuals I think will be out there and try to witness to them in that moment, you know what I'm saying, in some way. And so it is a little different because you're trying to hit a lot more people, uh, but don't think you're doing this in isolation. It's all based on what family, friends, whoever brought them there has done already and what the Holy Spirit's already working in their life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the components of, um, you know, we go in over in the Devo, some of the components of sharing your faith, like just actually sharing the gospel, having a full gospel present presentation. And one of the, the first things that we talked about is that um, there's a recognition, you know, Tim Keller has the quote that, you know, you are, I'm going to butcher it, but you're worse than you ever thought that you possibly were, you could more be, loved but you're more loved than you could have ever possibly imagined. Um, why is... Um, why is it so hard, do you think, for people to accept that first part? Like that, you know, why, and why is that part of the gospel? Understanding that we're worse than we ever thought that we could be. I think it's like an old quote by Malcolm Mugridge, who is like a British um, broadcaster and author. 
And he said it is the most obvious and verifiable fact about humanity and yet the most resisted. The depravity or, of man. Yeah, the depravity yeah. of man, like our, our sinfulness. Um, because nobody wants to have to admit that they have a problem or that they are the problem, right? Like that's the last thing that we want. So, and I've said it a thousand times from stage is um, one of the things that we want most or the thing that we want most is control over our lives. We want to be the ultimate authority. We want to be God. And to admit that we are broken means to admit that we are not God. You gave a great illustration at Christmas where you said that like, imagine you woke up one day and like your spouse gave you a book about how to lose weight. Like to accept the gift would mean that one, you'd have to believe that to be true. And then to swallow the pride of the acknowledgement that this is maybe a true reality or a fact about me, right? Yeah. I mean, what can be what can be a more difficult truth to swallow that, that heaven is not your natural default, that you're born uh, condemned and separated from God, like Romans 3 teaches us, for all have fallen short. Romans 6 teaches us that for the wages of sin are death. We've all worked in sin, therefore the wage is death, eternal separation from God. The verse ends with, with the positive that you're talking about, but the free gift of, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But yeah, the first part of that is is painful. Yeah, I, I kind of have, this is maybe controversial, but I'll throw it out there and see what you guys think. I don't think anyone comes to Christ that isn't first broken. Um, and what I mean by that is they're not just broken as in like we all know that we're broken like they know that they're broken like i don't think i've ever met someone who came to jesus in an authentic way that didn't first know this about themselves Mm -hmm. so by asking the question is it's almost like if you're asking i'm not going to convince you you're going to have to experience it that's that's gillum's story yeah is i can't convince you that you that you're broken you're going to have to come to that conclusion so i can tell you theologically why you're broken i can show you all the evidence that you and the world is broken but I can't convince you of it. You're going to have to experience it. Until you did tap into the feelings of being broken. You'll never need to go to a doctor. And that's why, like, you know, addicts, they have to understand that they're addicts. Like, you cannot get better if you don't acknowledge you're an addict. Let me ask you a question. Because I've operated under a couple of assumptions. I now believe theologically they weren't, they may not have been accurate. First one is that everybody wants to come to Jesus. They don't know it yet. Definitely not. No, I, I think it's not accurate. But I operate on the assumption that if I could, for many years, if I could just present a picture, care enough, oh. speak clearly enough, the gospel, that nobody in their right mind would turn it down. Huh. Now, C.S. Lewis would seem to differ with that, that, that people do choose. And I've come to probably believe he's more right than I wanted to admit. All right? Second thing that I operate under, everybody knows they're broken. Everybody knows. Now, here, here's my question for you guys, because you're a younger generation. Are people in the younger generation, because my generation ran away from the guilt and the legalism of a, a church that was hypocritical. And they did drugs and sex, drugs and rock and roll, whatever they could do to break free. Unfortunately, it's only further enslaved our society and, and morally made us bankrupt. But they were running from that, but there was that God-haunted thought that what I'm doing is not right. And what really took come to faith was to have the courage to admit what they really knew. Do you think subsequent generations have been so inculcated with, I'm okay, you're okay, you're a good person, if you look deep enough, you'll find the truth. Have they been so inculcated with that they no longer have that haunting thought late at night when they go to bed that I'm broken? So I think you're asking a couple different questions. You're asking a sociological question, but also a theological question. So the theological answer is, yes, we all know because it's written on our hearts, right? We all know what is right and wrong. Um, But the other side of it is, but we have a seared conscience. So uh, you were saying Guillaume's, Guillaume, 
G. Uh, his story is that God reactivated his conscience, yeah. right? And so I think the way that those two mesh is you have the sociological, which is we have gotten rid of guilt, we've gotten rid of the concept of sin, we've gotten rid of objective morality and truth. And so we've gone our own way, we've gone further and further and further into the depths of sin, and it has seared our conscience even more and more culturally and personally, yeah. I think. And so if I think the answer is, yes, we all know in our hearts what is right and that we are guilty, but because of these sociological factors, it seared our conscience and now we no longer... The solution is farther away now. Yeah. So what's the handle? Where, where do we get our handle in there to help? How, how do we do that? I mean, loving, establishing relationship, all things we've talked about, but what's the, what's the thing you do when, when a kid is, hasn't connected the dots? It's hmm. a good question. Yeah. Yeah. It's, my, my fearful answer is, um, my, the answer I'm afraid is true, is y you can tell them and you try to point them in the right direction, but it won't be until they've, they may be until they've tried those other things that they're going to find out that the answers were not I there. So, so just real quick, let me finish this thought. Yeah, I think that's where we're ha coming on. That's, I think that's where we're at on a cultural level right now to some degree. Not, But I see a lot of people coming to church and we've had a huge influx of, you know, young uh, parents and families that are coming in and going, I tried all the other things and they're not working. In fact, it seems to be getting worse. And so I'm going to try this, which maybe they had some background in faith or at least they're aware of it. And so I think that there is something happening on a cultural level where the people are going, it's not working. All the attempts that we've tried are not working. I was exactly, yeah, I was going to say that, but the scripture comes to mind is John 10, which is the good shepherd. And that the truth is that, and we, we learn from there that, that the, the patterns and the, and the voices in which we follow determine the outcomes of our lives. And the, the good news in John 10 is that if you conform your life to the, the, the voice of the good shepherd, right, you can expect a different outcome in different arenas of your life, which is why your whole thing of live differently is because you can expect different outcomes, right? And so um, I like to take kids through what are the voices that they're listening to, what are the patterns in which they're following, and what are the, what are the extended outcomes of that? And I realized that taking a sixth grader through that conversation you know, probably isn't going to work, but I can at least high school students. And in a way, I can take junior highs through it. But if you want a different outcome than mom and dad who have gotten divorced, well, let's, let, let's see the patterns and the voices in which they listen to. And more than not, because we have a large section of our kids that come from Tuesdays and Wednesday programs that don't come from Christian households, I just walk them through the pattern and then I show that there's a good shepherd that cares for them and they can architect a life that's better than theirs and they can expect a better outcome, a new model and mentor to walk them through that stuff. Yeah, and I think too, like, People are not going to be responsive to the the gospel if the status quo is working for them. Right. They're just not going to. They're, yep. they're not going to be responsive. Yep. And when that status quo farts starts... Farts. Did you say farts? Hey, I said farts. farts. I said farts. <laughs> All right, go ahead and end it right here. Cut. So go when the status quo starts to not work... It's usually you start blaming outside factors. Like, well, it's not. It would be. It would work if it wasn't for this group of people or this. But then, when you start recognizing it's you that the status quo, that's when you become open to the gospel. Which, and, by the by the way, leads us right back to where we started: loving your neighbor. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about the highly successful, upwardly mobile business guy, and his wife wants to divorce him. There's a pretty good chance there's a Christian somewhere in his circle who's in a similar place in life. And yet it's working. Guess who gets to tell him why his divorce is happening? The junior high kid who's struggling. There's probably a high school leader in the youth group who's been there yeah. and gets to say in his well, own language, <laughs> from his own experience, listen, neighbor, you can make it through seventh grade without smoking dope or yeah. whatever, whatever the thing is, right? That's where the neighbor thing comes back in. Sorry. 
Well, um, yeah, so that was actually, uh, that was just my initial question. So we only got to question one. It's fine. Doyle's here. Um, <laughs> he's going to call an audible and he's going to go with another so, 30 minutes. It's going to be so, great. So, um, yeah, I think the, the kind of one of the key things is, um, you know, we, we outlined in the Devo, there's like the three things to hit on, the manger cross king, you know, talking about Jesus. But I think the, the real key, and this is what we've touched on all week long, is um, you're not preaching at people. You're just sharing stories. Um, one of the things that came up in this, um, how to talk about Jesus without being that guy book, um, is he talked about that even if people really don't like Christianity, they don't like faith, they kind of like Jesus. And so even if they're coming at you with a, why are Christians homophobic? Or why do, you know, why do Christians have to care about what's going on in the bedroom? If you can tell them a story about, well, Jesus told this story this one time and da 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 da. And if you can tell them a story about Jesus, they'll be able to hear that truth a lot more clearly than if you say, well, the Bible says this and the Bible says this and here's my four spiritual laws. And you know, if you can tell them stories about Jesus and stories about yourself, um, you've gained a hearing for the gospel. And, um, and you know, we ended the Devo with just that idea that, um, you know, we can't forget that the Holy Spirit is involved in all of this. And um, we're not responsible for the outcomes. It's, you know, it's, it's a relationship between them and God, and we're not in it anywhere. It's, it's between the two of them, and we have to um, allow God to work in their life and allow Him to bring the fire. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's the end of it. Um, yeah. Wait, let me do an audible. Go. Okay. Oh, good. It's we have a quick audible. We're going to, we are setting a record on this. I was in, I was in a, um, mentoring group one time with pastors. First session, the, the leader of the group said, if you're not doing daily devotionals, talking to God every day and reading your Bible, you don't belong in this room, nor do you belong in ministry. And I was kind of like, well, that's kind of harsh and legalistic, but he was right. I agreed with him. I have met Christians who in 20 years of Christianity have never once had a conversation about Jesus with an unbeliever. Hmm. That's going back to day one. This, is, right this is a problem. This is a problem. This is you robbing someone of the opportunity to hear about eternal salvation. Come on, guys. We've got to, we've got to do this. This, this matters. And, uh, and so I think we've got to stop right now and just say, have I done this? And if you've never done this, repent. Have I done it enough? No, we all need to repent. But I want to enter in into this great adventure of seeing the world changed. I want to spend eternity with people who I got to be a part of their becoming Christians. And so today, don't write this off as belonging to somebody else. It doesn't. It belongs to you. It belongs to me. We all need to do better. And the great news is God will help us. And it's great when he does. It's fun. So I don't want anybody to take this in as intellectual information. You've worked hard on this. This has been fun talking about it, but something has to be done. Let's go do something. So that's kind of my final encouragement on this topic because it, it is it is wonderful. It's amazing how God comes through and gives you words to say and wisdom you never knew you had. And, but you'll never know until you get off the bench. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Okay, now we're going to turn it back to you, our listeners. If you would like to learn more about this topic, the main resource for the last few Devos is How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy by Sam Chan. We have some questions for you to think about as we close today. Question one, how have you been a prodigal in your life? In what ways does the Father's response resonate with the way God responded to you at that time? 
question two. How would you summarize the gospel using the manger cross king as a guide? Question three. What stories of God's work have been most impactful to you? How can you incorporate them into your answer to number two? Hey, thanks for joining us today. We hope that you take something that you heard, something you learned, something that was moving for you, and you do something about it. As we end this week of podcasts, our goal is not to just inform you, but to inspire you, to encourage you to step forward in your faith and do something new, something that God has been calling you to. And so please don't just listen, enjoy, learn, take action, figure out what God wants you to do next and join us again next week.